Hello and welcome back to OT and Chill, all things occupational therapy with me, Kwaku. Continuing with the occupational therapy and criminal justice series, in this episode I speak to Rachel Gibbs. Rachel is someone I really admire for her passion and enthusiasm about working in the criminal justice system over in Northern Ireland. I also really admire her because she has managed to navigate her way to a leadership position within the healthcare system in Northern Ireland. She's a real inspiration to me and I'm very happy to be speaking to her on the episode today and I hope you guys enjoy it too. So let's get right into it. Welcome Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. So just to kick um, the conversation off, I was just wondering about what your current role is and in general how have you how has your journey been into the profession and what does your current role look like? Okay, so my current title is Assistant Director of Healthcare Services and Prisons for the whole of Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is divided into kind of five health and social care trusts and each re- each trust is responsible totally for all of the health and social care services. That's hospital, community, mental health, everything. So we're, we're fully integrated trusts. Um, and one of those healthcare trusts was given the responsibility of prison healthcare. And so that's the trust that I sit in. Uh, and about uh, maybe 12 years ago, under the guidance of WHO, um, and the same time, similar to England, all of the healthcare services came out from justice and moved under the governance of the Department of Health. And at that time, Southeastern Trust, which is the trust I work for, um, took responsibility for healthcare in prison. That transition was really challenging. And there were lots of, I suppose, a bit like a divorce for justice and health services. And uh, it's taken, there were some really chaotic years after that. And I think in sort of 2012, I joined the Southeastern Trust and I was the head, I joined as the professional lead for occupational therapy services in the trust. So I was responsible for all of the occupational therapy services available in my area. So again, mental health, physical health, pediatrics, orthopedics, anything that to do with OT. So really lovely, diverse services. And one of the services, there were a number of OTs who worked in the prison. And that was my first introduction to having any connection to prison work. My background is paediatric occupational therapy and some learning disability, a bit of community, but in the main children's, so not justice related. I was immediately interested um, in, they asked for some support. And when I walked through the door of the Young Offender Centre, I was honestly pretty much hooked. And I started to pay attention from the sidelines, but they were really in chaos at that time and things were really difficult. There was a report by Diamant Oars, which suggested that our prisons were the most unsafe in Europe in 2015. Um, There were some really difficult, uh, the relationships with the Northern Ireland Prison Service were appalling um, and things were unsafe. And I suppose, uh, but it had had caught my attention and uh, I was really interested in what the role of OT was, but also just what what needed to happen in order to change the the trajectory of of the current position. And uh, I looked at when they advertised the job, it used to always be a nursing post, but they really struggled to recruit because they had had five people in post within a six year period in my role. And so they opened it up. Um, and I jumped at the opportunity to apply and uh, I was lucky enough to get that post and that was just at the very end of 2016 and uh, so I'm the first person who's a non-nurse in the role but I'm also the first person who's lasted more than a year (laughs) so um, but um, we have been on a massive journey of reform uh, in the last 
four and a half years and it's been hard, the hardest job I've ever had and the most rewarding by a long short. And we have completely changed how we do things. And this year, in fact, our Young Offender Centre had you know, one of the best reports that's ever been uh, given by Sidney uh, or the criminal, by the inspectorates. And we have seen just a, an upturn in all our reports. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about you. You, so you took a job when a report just came out that said actually the Northern Ireland prisons are basically in chaos. <laughs> so you, you took a job and I, I suppose there was a lot of expectations on you as a, as a person because of all, all the predecessors <laughs> that had not lasted very long in the job because of the, what sounds like a chaotic nature in the in the prison service so, so what made you you know you just mentioned when you walked into the young offenders what made you hooked onto it what what was it about you know just walking into this this environment and then you thought this is the i just need to know more about it there were a number of reasons. The, the two occupational therapists who worked for the service at that time, one in our Category A prison and one in the Young Offender Centre, they were really inspirational occupational therapists. They had a very clear vision of what they could um, achieve with the people they're working with. They were so person-centred. They were using, um, uh, they were thinking about occupational therapy in its widest form and not this horrible physical health or paediatric health or you know mental health which we we are trained not to think like that and then somehow we leave university and, and come out into this world of silos and the prison offers the opportunity to really look at the individual and cover think about all their health needs and all their social care needs and the wider determinants of health and education and how you spend your day and well-being and it, you know it was the, it was just the kind of almost the dream part of OT for me you could really see but also, I suppose um, I would be involved in voluntary work in Northern Ireland in relation to the peace story here and have come across a lot of the men and women who are connected to paramilitary organisations or have spent time in prison, you know, because of our troubles here. And so I I knew um, I, I wasn't that, that side of it wasn't unfamiliar. I wasn't put off by, by the people in prison. And I also felt like there was such an opportunity to completely rethink about it how we punish people or how we rehabilitate people or how we think of victims or what we think of victims. I mean, it, it was endless. And so I suppose I just, I, I could see a whole world of possibility open up in front of me. And I knew it was going to be hard, but I also thought, um, you know, I have the skill. I, I, this actually is something I have the skills for, you know, and I, I you could see that the relationship building that was going to be essential with the Northern Ireland Prison Service mm -hmm. and the all the different agencies that work alongside and also with the men and women who live in the space yeah, is going to be it's, um, it's important to have a relationship with them yes of course yeah and so I I, I, I could see that what what we could do I, I, I fairly quickly had a, a vision for what it could be like and I just kind of have doggedly gone after that Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, just like a lead on from that, what you just said, you're in a quite a senior uh, clinical slash leadership role. And also we always, you know, we're going to shout about it because you're an occupational therapist. It's always nice to see occupational therapists in, in positions that are decision-making positions that can actually, you know, with our understanding, help the people that we work with. So what kind of, is there any, how do I frame this? Is there any occupational therapy specific skills or knowledge that you, from your experience that's helping you to succeed in your role? Yes, for sure. I think as an OT, I, I've, as I say, I've worked in quite a lot of different areas of OT. I didn't stay, um, I'm not an expert OT in any area. And I have had the, the skills I developed in, especially learning disability services, 
in in looking at how people spend their day, what is meaningful activity, and um, what does you know structure mean to one person, and, and what does uh, you know activity mean to somebody else, and you know the notion of being person centered and asking people what's important to you and what what's going to make the difference in your life. So all of those kind of OT type skills have been um, central to our ethos and the, the 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 way we work as a whole service so the the services i run i have within the prison we have dentistry you know gps psychiatry um psychology pharmacy nursing all every we're fortunate to have every type of ahp now including music therapy and art therapy and you know dietitians podiatrists radiographers so all of all of them so really diverse range of services and i am i suppose helping them think holistically, uh, you know, in the way that uh, that OTs are really trained to do. Um, and, I, and I think all professions. I don't want to sound. I'm not precious about that, but I, I also think we we do come. At, we are very person focused, and we know the notion of having to. You know, there's such a lot of talk about person centered practice now, and you know, we we've known that forever. You know, in some ways, in OT, we know we have to ask the person in front of us what is important to you first, yeah. because that is central to. to you know, occupational choice. I suppose the other thing, I worked in um, Zanzibar for three years as an occupational therapist and that I learned more there about doing something useful uh, and being having to work outside my cultural norms and having to uh, figure out who I was in that space and what, what skills could I bring, but also what did I need to know about the environment I arrived into and, and what I needed to ask and learn from them in order to know how we together made a difference moving forward and less about coming in and thinking you had all the answers because that was never going to work in, in Africa where I was and, and prison has been the same so I had to come in and because I was it was so completely new I really took a lot of the learning from that experience working overseas and, and, and applied it here so asking questions not having all the answers assuming um, that the answers were in the room and I just needed to pull them out of the staff who already worked there and, and that includes the officers so taking that approach has really worked you know because people haven't felt like I'm coming in criticising Yeah, no, I hear that and I think that's a skill that hopefully all occupational therapists or all healthcare professionals should have or we should strive to have and show that curiosity when you're speaking to someone, not just someone in prison, not just someone in a different place. You're just entering a space that you don't really know much about. So you need to find out that information, not coming with like maybe your knowledge of occupation and trying to put it on someone <laughs> that doesn't really understand it so it's very good that you're able to use like transfer your skills over it's, it's, it sounds like a, a, a fantastic thing that you did there so when you took on the the role which is a quite a big role in a in a difficult time period of time how did you um, manage a clash between public protection and healthcare protection and um, a provision how did you manage that <laughs> dynamic in the prison uh that's a, a that's probably the best question I, I, and I suppose what I tried to do was less focus on where we didn't agree or where the tension was because there's there will always be a tension between health and justice because our um, our focus is slightly different but there are lots and lots of areas where our focus is the same and as the prison services and certainly in Northern Ireland but across the world are moving away from the punitive era and into the rehabilitation area there were lots of areas that we could help them move and be seen um, to, to get good uh, you know, praise from the inspectors, for instance. So 
we looked at areas that we could work together um, for the better outcomes of individuals that would tick the boxes for their inspection, but also genuinely get better outcomes. So for the people who live in a prison. Um, and once we started to have small quick wins with that and build trust with the prison service about what we were about and that we were, we, it wasn't that we were working in against them. It was that our, our, you know, our roads were just slightly different, but ultimately we're all about the same thing. We're all about reducing reoffending. We're all about long-term outcomes and, and safer society, you know, and, you know, how we achieve that can be, um, can, there's lots of areas where we overlap. So I think we focused hard on the areas where we overlapped and, and worked together. Um, and now it's interesting because five years on or four and a half years on, we're beginning to um, tackle some of the areas that are that were challenging, more challenging for us. But, but because the relationships are strong, we can hold those spaces and those conversations without falling out or without drama. So um, because we know each other and we trust each other, but it was really important to build trust first and do the things that we can do and focus on the overlap areas as opposed to the challenging areas. And I suppose that's what that makes sense, isn't it? When we talk, we talk about solution-focused type of practice, you know, let's let's focus on all the strengths, strengths approach that we, all the different um, types of concepts that you talk about. So it's, it's important to focus on the things that you're all very good at and trying to build on that because then when it comes to some, maybe talking about some of the challenges, it will be easier just like you described there. So, so you've gone into this environment, you're faced with this, uh, basically it's like a culture, isn't it? It's a culture within the prison and the, and the justice system, isn't it? And you're coming in as a, uh, from a healthcare pro um, point of view or public health point of view. What are some of the decisions that you, you have taken or your team have taken um, to improve some of the health outcomes of the men in, in the prison setting? We have fairly significantly diversified the workforce, I think, you know, generally in, in prisons in Northern Ireland and probably throughout the world still, the, there were mainly doctors and nurses. You, you had tiny pockets of, of bits and pieces of other services. So you might, like we were lucky, we had two full-time occupational therapists. And for a population, our prison population in Northern Ireland is only 1,500, so it's small. And um, we had two full-time OTs and a physio, but uh, everything else was very biddy and sessional and from, you know, other trusts. So we we sort of really um, made an effort to structure the workforce differently. And we, you know, I, I make no apology, I changed the budget. And because you, when you are in a position of power, I suppose, or in a leadership position, you have the option to make significant changes that other people wouldn't make. And then you're in a different professional group, you will make, again, different choices. Um, so we also had a huge difficulty recruiting nurses. And so that we had lots of vacancies and high volume of agency spend but when you broke down the tasks or the issues, you know, the, the, we just hadn't thought creatively enough about how we could use the resource more effectively. So we diversified hugely by bringing in all the different AHPs and really thinking about a public health approach. And um, so the dietitians who come in are not just doing diabetes work, but they're also looking at the menus available within the prison setting and you know much much broader view and um, we have physios who do pelvic health work but they also run a broader kind of women's well women's clinic so we have gender specific services and they're not just based on the old models of male prisons you know we have um, speech and language therapy full-time in our prisons now and that's been fundamental but again they work on an individual basis but they also work and do training with officers around communication and what does the tuck shop list say? And do you know if the person in front of you can read or write? And what is your communication pathway? So we've tried to take a much 
broader public health approach and a training approach. Um, we've introduced uh, a whole engagement team and they're non-professional. I mean, professionals can apply for those posts, but they, they're highly graded. They're band seven, you know, senior roles, but they are, um, their, their responsibility is to go out and run focus groups and engage the men and women in the prison, ask for their input into our service developments and do feedback. So all the national consultations, mental health strategy consultations, you know, we get our guys inside the prison to, you know, complete those consultations so that they are fully engaged in the, in the wider system and to give them a sense that they actually have a lot more power than they feel they have. Mm. And um, so I think we, we have, yeah, we've really diversified the types of service we offer. And that has hugely increased our attractiveness because of course we've had great results from a lot of that work. And then your reports start to shine. And then we've just, so we did a big recruitment of nurses and we've just built all our nursing posts. So it's it's a good, you know, diversifying helped our nursing recruitment. It didn't take away from it, which was always, which was one of the fears I think initially. Um, and I am not pro any profession, I'm pro diversity. We need it. We need a good balance of different professions in any team to make the difference. That sounds great, and I'm actually fascinated about this engagement officer. Can you tell tell me a little bit about what you talked about? Obviously, they do like focus groups, and um, why why did you want um, a role like that um, in a in a prison setting? And and what what are they actually doing that maybe some of the other healthcare professions are not doing? but getting those um, results for the for the people in, in, in the prison setting? It started with, uh, by accident, I think it's probably the best way to describe it. I When I first came into post and we had um, significant, as I described, relationship issues with the prison service, but also there was huge um, tension between the healthcare staff and the people who lived in the prison, never mind the officers who lived there. There was lots of different areas of, of mistrust, I think is the, probably the word I would use. And so I, we had somebody who was doing some health development work. He was actually um, uh, a guy called Barry, he's a fantastic guy who had come to the end of a contract. And uh, I, he had great relationships with people inside. You could see he was a great relationships person. And so I asked him, would he consider staying on to do a bit of work um, as a pilot? And he, he was keen. And so he, he came to me and says, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, honestly, I, I, I'm not sure I care what you do. I want you to do anything you can think of as creatively as you can that will uh, give opportunities for us to interact differently with each other, both staff and prisoners and, um, you know, healthcare staff, everybody who works in that space, who lives and works in that space. So we ran a whole series. He was amazing and he came up with brilliant ideas and we sat together um, and kind of came up with a, a plan. We did storytelling workshops. We had... Um, role play workshops. There was a brilliant program called In Your Shoes and My Shoes where we asked officers to play the parts of people who live in prison and people who live in prison to play doctors and, and nurses. And, and we did that over a series of 12 weeks. And that was one of the most powerful things we did where we asked people to actually stand in the shoes of somebody else and think how it might be to be them. And we created spaces where we did, so our storytelling workshops were there to a uh, format called 10 by 9 and it was nine people have 10 minutes to tell a story you run a few workshops so kind of two-hour workshops prior to the event to get people's stories tight and clear and then they have this opportunity to stand up and we when we do those we always have three healthcare staff three prison staff and three people who live in the prison so it's a shared space it's not any one person's story more powerful than the other and in fact 
incredibly, you know, those storytelling opportunities really brought out the humanity of officers, but also of people in prison and health staff, bits of, of ourselves we rarely share. And I think that helped build trust and just a sense of shared humanity that we are. And many of us don't even really agree with necessarily the prison space, but it's what we have in the UK right now. And so how do we get the best out of this time and how do we um, maximize opportunities and create uh, potential futures for people, you know, that are different trajectories than they're currently on. And so those ta- those activities just were so powerful and we got so much um, information from them in terms of what we could do differently in other parts of the system, other, you know, ideas for new healthcare services or what do you worry about, you know, um, in terms of your health or, um, you know, drug programs or different things. We had great ideas. So we just, it became obvious that, and also our, I should say, our complaints just, um, you know, took a downturn like you've never seen because there were so many opportunities for the men and women in prison to engage with us that they didn't need to write a formal complaint because they they could just speak to people. And um, so we got funding to make those that rule permanent and advertise a permanent post. And we are actually about to bid for some more because we really have one person who kind of covers the three prisons. Um, and But we want to have um, this work. So somebody like this on every site because they, they're worth their weight in gold. And they, a lot of the um, negative space that can really be time consuming for clinicians to have to wade through complaints or issues, those are all much more quickly resolved and nipped early. And they're, so it's actually saved clinical time, even though we had to take a little bit, because I didn't get additional budget for it. I just used vacancies and tried to think differently about how we use the, the resource available. And that's the that's that's that leadership position, isn't it? You have to be you have to be creative in your in your thinking and how how you oversee things. But what I'm what I'm hearing is that that this person or this engagement position is like the glue that sort of sticks both sides or whatever or three sides, if you think about it like that way. But actually, you've stuck those three um, sides together and it's become a whole, which is and it moves more smoothly um, with, with with the focus and actually gives power back to the people that have been placed in prison and, and gives them a bit of a voice because they, they know there's going to be listened to by yourself or your your team and things are actually going to change rather than sending in that complaint and again I don't know how complaint I don't personally know how complaints are dealt with but a lot of the times the, the men are unhappy with the outcome of the of the of the complaints and it just becomes a recurring issue right so if you're giving uh, providing spaces for people to to talk then that's 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 really really good um do you think there's a lot of talk about mental health difficulties in in prisons and and you know and self-harm what what is the prevalence of mental health difficulties in your prisons and and how has the changes and diversifying of your healthcare um uh, team in the prison helped to decrease this or you know not make it get any worse yeah we i think Um, mental health is so broad I mean I I think we probably have a a relatively small percentage of the prison population um, who have a formal diagnosis of severe mental illness for example so you might have you know 20 to 30 out of our 1500 who have that kind of formal diagnosis we don't have an inpatient facility or any inpatient facilities at all in our prisons we operate on a right time right place policy so if you become physically or mentally unwell to an extent that you need a hospital environment, then then you go to a hospital environment. And I fundamentally believe that that's 
the right thing to do. Um, and we are we are fortunate in that 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 is not a, you know, a problem for us. I suppose many, the vast majority of people who come into prison um, have got mental health issues, whether they are, you know, I think in the community, they wouldn't often make threshold for mental health services. However, um, they're often on the cusp. And I think many of our people are on the cusp of lots of services, so they don't quite meet threshold for mental health. They don't you know, quite meet threshold for learned disability. They don't quite meet threshold for autism services. They don't, you know, they're just the, the people who live under the lines and don't engage very well anyway in healthcare. And so they're often sort of on the edges. Um, and so we have tried to, again, take a much broader approach to well-being. Um, and so our mental health thresholds for, for our mental health team is, is very low. You, you don't, you just need to be um, in any way finding prison difficult, which is the vast majority of people at some point or other. Um, and even just, you know, I think people who come into prison are often very vulnerable because of the crime they've committed or they feel bad about that or they feel they're still angry about something or whatever it is. Um, so. I think we we have tried to we have a very specific mental health service, but we also have lots of groups that the occupational therapists in many cases have started um, in terms of pre-release work, but also just you know sleep hygiene or relaxation, uh, sensory boxes, you know the different uh, skills that they've brought, uh, yoga, you know, uh, and exercise, diet, all the different things, you know, looking at how we how we keep ourselves well in that space, but also how do we then take that out into the the community? I think we can show that um, we have had a twenty five percent reduction in self harm in the last uh, three years, uh, which is massive for us, we would say, and that's across our, our three sites, that's as a whole. If you drill that into um, the smaller sites, you can see uh, that there's just, the, the, the huge success has been with the women and the young men, um, which is really exciting. We also, we have a system called um, SPAR Evolution, which is, it stands for supporting prisoners at risk. Um, and it's when somebody's deemed to be at risk, the, the prison service or actually anybody, we, everybody who works in our sites has to have this training and anyone can open what we call the SPAR. I'm sure most prisons have them. I think it's slightly different uh, terminology. Yeah, I think so. If it's something, something directly related to self-harm. Yeah, or if someone's suicidal, if someone's, there's a process uh, and we, we call it opening a SPAR. And the numbers of SPARs have reduced by, you know, 30, more than 30% in the last couple of years. Um, because we, I think people are, you know, beginning to slowly recognize that the, both the prison service, but certainly the health service and, and together, we are trying to create an, a, a more therapeutic environment. I don't believe prison will ever be a therapeutic environment as such, but it is possible to do um, very good rehabilitation work. And it is possible to um, give people enough education about their own well-being and health and, and the connections for transfer out, uh, you know, to to set them on a different different road. What what, uh, what sounds quite interesting is that obviously we talked about people that don't in the community would not meet the threshold for support or for any different um, kind of difficulties. Um, but I suppose probably seeing that and diversifying your your team uh, limits some of the impacts that those kind of lack of meeting those thresholds can then move we want to be diagnosed with a, a severe mental um, health condition or anything like that so people are being supported from all different angles right because um, if you if you're struggling with uh, something that you might need a physio for 
you've got a physio at hand. Um, I know there's a, I don't know the exact number, um, but I know there's a high proportion, I don't know if it's the same in Northern Ireland, but there's a high proportion of people in prison with um, literacy um, uh, uh, difficulties or just just literally can't cannot read or write. So having that support from occupational therapists, from speech and language therapy, that also then sort of scaffolds them, hopefully when they eventually gets released to not have issues with those things which might then drive them into committing crime. So it sounds like you guys are doing great work. And to hear there's the twenty five percent reduction, that's I think any prison <laughs> will love those type of, of numbers. Um specifically in in your young offenders, what is there anything specific that you got you can think of that you you guys are doing there that is help some of this um, decrease in numbers with the young men? Yes, I think we have uh, lots of things, and we I mean our, our it's a big success story for us. You know, there were about a uh, I think we've we've reduced our young offender numbers by eighty percent in the last five years. Wow. Um, yeah, we have under thirty people in Northern Ireland now who are eighteen to twenty one in prison we 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 do have um another maybe 250 uh, 22 to 25 year olds and that's our next big focus but over the last few years there's been a lot of work done and the prison service uh, i think have been uh, in our young offender center they've been really fantastic at, at making innovative change and creating um opportunities using we have goats and sheep and donkeys and we have Labradors and we have a great art room and we have recycling projects and we have, you know, a barista bar where they learn how to make cappuccinos and, you know, because that's the thing and that's where you might get work on the outside. Um, and, you know, we have park run and physical exercise opportunities. We have working out schemes. We use the storytelling workshops. We've had colour runs. We do, you know, all sorts of activities, very heavy activity-based um interventions that are not moving away from the talking therapies 18 to 21 year old boys generally are not that great at articulating what's going on for them or what they need and yeah, so i can but, for that we'll yeah work on the young men yeah so you have to think creatively yeah yeah so the more um crack what we would say in northern ireland that you can have with them in terms of you know um enjoying time or um, our health development the same guy uh, I mentioned earlier Barry he introduced um, it's called banter and buns on a Saturday which is you know you get a donut and a cup of tea and a, and a grab some time together to to share stories and to be you know to create a space where it's okay to talk about how you're feeling or to look out for each other and we've done um, we made a sexual health video with some of the young guys and, and they they wrote the storyboards we got a company in they did a, a created a cartoon it's it's really fun i'll share it with you it's 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 so clever and yeah. um, we did we made a comic um which i which is, i can share it with you. nobody else can see it but you can see it it's called biz in the priz oh that's and so cool um biz in the priz craving the blue is that open access is that can can everyone access that is that in the, in the public it, well, it's only in hard copy but i, I can email it to you or i can oh, share yes, it please, yeah yeah the great um it was a brilliant comic book so we're constantly and that was all done that's all done with healthcare staff um trying to think creatively about how we engage the young men around the issues that face them and we're asking them what are the issues that what worries you what and the, the, i think the, the biz in the prison which was really all about drug use was fantastic um a great uh, example of how you can um you know it's extremely educational the young lads came up with the language it's not my language, but it's certainly language that they they understand. 
um, they talked about their hopes, their fears, why they take drugs, why they, the good side of taking drugs, the bad side, you know, really honest conversations uh, about, um, and that, I think that has helped us uh, sound less judgmental. You know, there's, there, we're trying to move away from the notion of heavy judgment. You know, people are at whatever point in their lives they are. And, you know, all we are trying to do is create better opportunities for the future and give them choices and have a sense of choice for the future. But ultimately, it's their choice. And That's, that sounds really good because I'm just thinking, relating the back to occupational therapy, you know, sometimes um, maybe casting your mind back when you're actually like doing <laughs> very much OT specific work. You, you, know, you talk about exploration and getting people to try as many different things as possible to find what is meaningful to them. And um, thinking about young people specifically in a prison setting, that might not have had those opportunities when they were growing up. Um, might have had very chaotic um, upbringings. So those opportunities to try out different things might build those self-esteem and actually make them more confident in themselves. So when they do go out in the community, they don't feel like they're lacking skills or uh, to communicate for, to, for starters, or their needs. Um, and, and also you talked about the uh, opportunity to work and recycle projects and barista. So it gives them opportunities and to go out and feel confident so they don't have to engage in um, criminal behavior to bring them back into prison so to reduce that number is, is just amazing <laughs> when you said 30 i was like whoa like my where i work is that is quite a lot of people that that wouldn't even fill one wing yeah <laughs> so it's i know it's amazing um i know Our numbers, from, yeah. it's, it's relation right. to the population of the country and all that but that's that's still very very low um number yeah and i mean i think we are working very as a multi-agency group so the prison service have a key role in this and, and probation have a key role in this and all the voluntary sector organizations uh, and and the transfer out and i think there is a, a you know the evidence says if we can keep people out of prison before they're 18 or certainly before they're 25 the chances of them coming in after are it's massively reduced so we are trying to really stop the revolving door and genuinely create spaces. There's been some lovely social enterprise work done in the community um, where people can leave prison and go into work placements. And I think, you know, we know, and again, this is so important from an OT perspective, you know, housing is so important, environment is so important, job opportunities are so important, leisure, how we spend our time, family connections, and all of that is pure OT. It's why it's like I said at the beginning, you know, this is this environment allows you to use and deep kind of grow all of those skills that you you know started out at uni with and to really stretch into what it means to be a complete complete occupational therapist in my head and I think the OTs also can really influence the prison structures around activity and the activities available and help explain why if you do lots you know create spaces for not just gym I mean the gym is great but the gym is just pumping iron and a lot of our young lads just want to be buff but you know there's more to exercise than, than gym and 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 also you know getting the lads to do yoga um is fun you know it's not it's not their norm but sure you know everybody has to be step you know helping people step outside their comfort zone yeah. um but without, feeling can, judged, without feeling judged then love yeah, that, yes. yeah and using the you know teaching people regulation skills breathing how to how to calm down and then you know the combination of sort of that ot and then speech helping them articulate their needs without punching somebody you know <laughs> how do you get your needs met without taking it to an extreme place and you know these are skills for life these are skills that will and as you said many people haven't had these basic skills 
that they haven't been taught it. It's not that they haven't got the potential for it. So it's not even rehabilitation, it's actually habilitation a lot of the time. And we are amazed all the time at even people's basic knowledge around diet. And, you know, I think of, you know, all the different fruits and vegetables available to me, you know, and many people who we find live in the prison, they haven't even tried half of those things because they've never even considered them, you know. So just building people's repertoires of choice and giving them experiences um, that will allow them to, to go out and share that same knowledge with their families. So that that pushes a public health agenda, which is exciting for me too. Oh, that's, that's, that sounds great. Uh, so going back to the allied professionals and then your role, uh, your current position, um, prison is a very difficult place challenging place to to work like I've, I've mentioned in the previous podcast even the buildings you know <laughs> themselves are quite daunting sometimes for for anyone um how have you encouraged i know you've, you've touched on it before but how have you encouraged um healthcare professionals um especially allied health professionals to come and work uh, for your team and also remain in the team I think in some ways, you know, success breeds success and positivity breeds positivity. I um, I love this work and I love this space. And so I definitely have created a culture of energy. I think if I, um, I know that my, the energy I bring to the ideas and what we could do, you know, well, this is amazing, um, has been um, a bit addictive for others. Um, and bit by bit, we have just grown, I, I mean, our senior team, so the head of, so in, in in my team, I try to think of us as kind of circular. So I have the assistant director role, which is kind of the coordinator role, but there's the head of medicine, the head of pharmacy, the head of nursing, the head of HPs, head of governance, the head of dentistry, the head of, um, you know, sort of business support as we call it. And we work as a really multidisciplinary, cohesive group. So no one of us is higher than the other. It's not, we just all have our different roles within our senior senior group or leadership team, we call it. And they are a phenomenal group. I mean, I think I've, you know, l- lucky to attract staff. Um, we've put out all our positive, you know, we, we've done a lot of celebrating of success and we've, we've demonstrated that this is actually a, a place where you can have a huge impact on public health and um, really affect change in the health inequality agenda. There's a lot of talk about health inequalities, but there are very few places in my experience that are actually tackling it. And we are, we are, um, we don't have waiting lists for physio and OT or psychiatry, you know, the way the community does. We provide beyond equivalence and I don't apologize for that. I think it's important that we do provide beyond equivalence because the people that we serve have, have a massive health inequality agenda. Um, inequality agenda full stop. Um, so it's it's great uh, once you, I think if it, you know once you start to attract people with the right approach and the right ethos, then that attracts others. And as I say, we have our recruitment has gone. We my first year there were so many vacancies. We we we, we I think probably had you know forty percent vacancy, wow. um, and now we now we're probably you know ten percent. And that's kind of normal for most services. So it's, yeah, I, I think sharing the good news and showing it as a place where you can make a difference. It is challenging though. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, you know, it's challenging, uh, but it's, it's also, um, you know, it's the right, you're, you know, it's the right thing to do in your soul when you're, when you're here. I think you're right. I think you have to be 
once you get in there that's when you realize the opportunities that's possible in, in that environment and also once you start doing and your team is very positive um having a positive uh, management team and leadership team then you you don't feel like you want to go anywhere else and you want to carry on uh, and your ideas are being heard and and um that leads me on to my next question again because i know obviously you're an occupational therapist you never lose <laughs> you never lose those skills you're you're rachel to begin with and then you've got this ot hat on and obviously you're not biased but i can imagine that you might be a little bit biased <laughs> in your towards <laughs> occupational therapy um but from your experience of working with the um, ot's in the service uh, what kind of um i know you've mentioned it previously but what, what other sort of uh interventions have they done in the past or are they doing now that is really really exciting or um that's made a real change to 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 how the uh, people in the prison experience it I think originally the OTs were probably fairly focused on mental health and we use the model of human occupation as our kind of mental health model um, for assessment and interventions. Uh, and it was, as I think it was a bit limited to that. And um, we now have a much broader approach. And so our OTs are doing everything from wheelchair assessments to, you know, um, pre preparation for release, you know, cooking, housing thoughts, you know, what are your spaces because as, as our we have, like everywhere there's an aging population in our prisons too and with the historical abuse inquiries we've got some very old people in the prison so um there's a lot of more of the physical rehabilitative side or you know thinking about community housing structures so it's much broader so i honestly think we we probably um cover the the full base of adult occupational therapy and um, we also if someone needs um more specific say hand therapy or you know think a more specific skill we we can link out it to our colleagues in the wider trust and either have created an opportunity for them to come in and see people or we can have outpatient appointments and so we we well we have a um a team of now nine occupational therapists um we we can easily access any others so if we have somebody who comes in with um significant levels of autism or you know a, a definite learning disability we can call on our colleagues in the community and hospital services for support and so i think that's been great to be able to develop that i think the exciting work we're doing now is the multidisciplinary work where you'll have an ot and a speech and language therapist running a group together or an ot and a physio running a group or an ot and a dietitian um and i think or an ot and a nurse you know so we i think those those multidisciplinary um groups are uh take us to the next level and they 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 really enhance the sorts of provisions uh, and again and again the outcomes that we get as a result um, and we and they help us they they stretch us they, you know because another therapist or another profession sees things differently so they ask us questions or they bring something new so that really stretches our own skill set and role as OTs. You know, that, that does make absolute sense and I think that's the I think that's the way forward in, 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 in these kind of settings, well, in a lot of settings, actually, if you think about it, because we all see, we all, we all have the same vision, <laughs> but we, we might get there through different ways and it's about working together to try make that uh, path as smooth as possible rather than being silo and occupational therapist is doing this and then the physios comes along and does this and then you know it's, it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't actually help the person um in in the long run um moving on a little bit i know you yeah you, i can tell by your passion for working in the, in the prison system um but i know you, from conversations before that you've traveled around the world and visited some um uh, prisons uh, from your experiences and also from your current role, what 
real impact do you think OTs can have in this in prison settings all around the world or where you are or in the in the rest of the UK? I, I think I've touched on it before. The fundamental impact uh, we can have is on helping the prison system understand the importance of a structured activity or just, you know, occupational deprivation, what it means to, to, to spend days and days and hours and hours in cells without um, meaningful activity. Um, you know, we, since we worked alongside the prison service and now the prison service take huge responsibility for that, which is the way it should be. And we are more consultants in that side of the house when people don't engage with the activities available to them. But the first thing often OTs have to do is make it, get activity available. You know, um, our actual role should be the therapeutic element of that when people don't choose to engage in the activity, but actually for, for prisons, it's really about starting getting activities in, in place and working alongside our, our prison colleagues to help and create ideas, spaces, um, you know, risk taking, you know, all of those things around activity. And I think that's a hugely important role. And I think where there are OTs, you can see um, the likes of Debs Murphy and, you know, Charlotte. And, you know, I know there's all these OTs out there doing work in England, which, you know, just really excites me that there is a growing body of people who recognize the importance of addressing occupational deprivation. And it's a huge issue in our prisons. It's not only an issue in prison, but it's certainly a massive issue. And so now that our um, our activity, it's, so for our prisons, we've seen a, a big increase in a, in a variety of, of activities available to people who aren't necessarily in a work placement, um, from gardens and horticultural stuff to again, like yoga or group work or cooking, all sorts of different activities available. Um, and it's the OTs now are, are called on when someone doesn't engage and, and how do we maximise their you know, um, ability to engage in, in the activities that are important to them, which is, is actually what OT should be more about. But um, so it's, that's the area I think, you know, occupational deprivation, there's huge research or we know that and yet prisons seem to leave people lingering in cells for, for just too long in a day. You know, 23 hours in a cell is crazy. It's sort of that it has. It can only have a negative impact on people's mental and physical health. So it doesn't take much to shift that. And if you show what we've been able to show again, and we talk about self harm dropping, and we talk about spars dropping. The other area, which I should say, is we've seen a massive drop in violent incidents in the last few years, and um, almost to to none. I mean, we have never had a violent incident with a member of healthcare since I've been here. You know, so it's not you know, men and women who are well and occupied, you know, are often easy to work alongside. And that includes us. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's, any, that's just a human thing. Oh, and that's what we know is okay. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense um, to us initially, when you first go in as an occupational therapist, it's just about getting things in place for everyone to engage in. And then while, when everyone is engaging in something or you're try, trying to engage in something, then it's the, it's the people that are left behind basically we sort of move out to the more even more marginalized um people in prison and prison is a, is a difficult place I, there's no way i would say there's no way i could sit in a room for 23 hours without just like that's why sometimes i understand some of the, when some of the men do some of the things they might do it might it might not be very good but you can you can just see it <laughs> that no one should be really sitting in the room for 23 hours by themselves um you know with their own thoughts um and not much to do it's definitely going to have a negative impact on on, on on their mental health and their just general well-being anyway um just to finish off um i know 
myself and Debs have been talking recently actually about um, maybe submitting like uh, sort of like um, uh, what is it called an abstract for conferences to talk about uh, the diversity in 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 the men in, and women in the prison as well and there's a, around the world in in that well especially in more western countries there's a it's a high level of or there's a disproportionate number of um, black and minority ethnic groups in prison compared to the population of the country i wonder if it's a sa- if, if it's the same in northern ireland i don't really know the population breakdown in northern ireland so you can you can do that and also if that is the case is it um what how diverse is the team that you've um sort of put together in in the healthcare it's such an important question uh you know from my travels internationally over representation of people of color in prison settings was very very uh, stark especially of course in america where we know there're huge issues there um but also in europe uh, which surprised me a little bit I, w- i wasn't as ready for that i think we think of america as terrible and we're not too bad but actually europe had and some some of the prisons in europe had a, you know up to 90 95% for nationals um which in the spaces they were by default were people of color and therefore it was really alarming i think and we and something that i um i was funded by the winston churchill memorial trust for my my experiences and the report that i wrote uh, at the end of that you know one of my key recommendations is that we need to pay close attention to overrepresentation in northern ireland the overrepresentation issue was always related to protestant catholics and the catholic um numbers were always much higher and while that has improved it's still not where it needs to be and there still continue to be issues of representation in relation to religion here um this we've just come, we're about to do the census you know so we will have much clearer information and then i i'm really keen to see what the, the next census says about our numbers we are not a particularly diverse country in northern ireland i'm sorry to tell you um we are getting there it's slowly changing and there is a so as i say we'll we'll know more um in the next few months when the census concludes however um i a number of years i mean probably even just two or three years ago i would have said we had almost no people of color in prison and there wasn't much uh, i i it wasn't really an issue it looked like it was probably reflective of the community and maybe even less than was uh, um underrepresentation unfortunately um i checked our uh, uh, figures yesterday you know in, in preparation of our conversation and sad to report that the numbers have risen significantly even in a, in a few years so we're probably still small in many ways but you're talking possibly 8 to 10% of our uh, prison population um are black and our the ethnic groups and that is well above what the last census showed so it would have been more like 2% and uh, not even of our population in Northern Ireland so i while i think that has shifted i'm i don't think it's shifted to 8 to 10% so we we now There are some possible reasons for that around um we don't have an immigration center here and so people come in here for deportation immediately and with the people coming up through the south there's there's potential that people are in and stuff to do with criminology or as such you know they're just illegal as opposed to you have done anything terrible yeah. um so that may have some uh we we probably have overrepresentation of the traveling community and the romani community so that's again um they they're part of the um minority groups here uh so it's it i would need to look more closely but it's certainly something i think we need to pay close attention to the workforce i'm really fortunate in in my team in that we have um 
uh, attracted a number of so we have a big international recruitment for nurses so I have a number of nurses from South Asia and um, we have a number of our nurses here originally um, from Uganda who've been here for many years you know so they're um, extremely experienced and uh, also of colour and um, one of the doctors is from Trinidad and Tobago we have another doctor from South Asia so we're, we are fortunate and I probably have uh, um, over-representation in my team <laughs> Um, but only small and it's uh, they may, it really brings again I, I said at the beginning I'm more of a diversity I always have been and I think um, diversification of the workforce both from a professional point of view but also a, um, you know race point of view or not just race but you know the, the broader the, the more cultural perspective it gives a different understanding different yeah. of how people might deal with different things but it's really interesting uh, all the things that you've just mentioned then and, and yeah I didn't actually think about the, the split between when it comes to religion especially in, in Northern Ireland because of all the difficulties that the country's been through before and how actually significantly affecting one somewhat one belief compared to the other belief so that's really interesting to look at as well I, I wonder what kind of does it play out in the prison session with the with the men in there and the women does it play out do people sort of segregate themselves from each other or is it not it's not really like that because of all the way that you guys have done it and the prison service has done to try to bring people together I, I think from a, a religious perspective, it probably was quite segregated, especially during our trouble years. But I think we've moved away from that. And also the next generation just aren't interested in that storyline anymore, thankfully. Uh, so I think it's changing and I don't I don't think it plays a significant part. But I think the workforce is probably still um, heavily uh, overrepresented by Protestants. Um, and again, it's shifting and it's changing and we're trying to really encourage that. But uh, then that, that's key to shifting everything else. Um, so we have to pay you know attention to representation in all bits of the system not just the men and women who live in prison um but i, I no i don't I, I don't see it as a huge issue i suppose um i think again for the young men or women of color it's very important for me that they have access to other people of color you know in health in, uh, um, there are a few officers, but very few, but we have some of our community volunteer director staff would also be black or Asian. And I think being able to ensure they have access to someone else who they, whether if there, especially if there's issues of trust or just uncertainty, I think we all um, need to feel safe and we need to make sure people feel safe. I hope that, uh, I mean, obviously my my ultimate hope is that that isn't, that isn't required and that people do feel safe, but I think, um, it's a bit like young people needing to see role models in all sorts of life and jobs and in Northern Ireland that is a bit of a, a, an interesting one because the vast majority of um, black people at one point were doctors here because they all came through a university programme here and um, that's, that, that was that if you were to ask a, a young uh, person you know what what do you think that person does in a picture they'd probably say doctor because that was the whereas now we're seeing a totally different population coming in through the migration or immigration um, and the refugee programs um, so it's a it's you know it's trying to keep people's minds open and and um, and for me just making sure people have the opportunity to engage and learn and meet and then that dispels some of the myths that some can can live in our heads about people and cultures. 
Um, so there's a there's some really nice projects here, um, you know, about culture and trying to manage because we're starting to see race issues are on the rise here, of course, because our, our situation is changing. And thankfully, there's an international conversation that has started. And um, obviously, the you know, the recent Meghan and uh, um, Harry story. And while it's totally uh, in some ways, you know, there's huge issues with that. It is, it is opening up a conversation. I had a conversation with my neighbour yesterday, which I would never normally have. And you know, I think that is essential for us moving forward and finding a society where we accept difference and, and celebrate difference yeah. and enjoy each other's difference. Well, that's well, it's been a fascinating conversation. And, you know, I when I spoke to you before, I said, oh, when I, when I finished speaking to you, I was like, really motivated just now telling all my colleagues about all the exciting things that you guys are doing in Northern Ireland. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come and, you know, share with everyone else all the wonderful work that you, as a person and also as an occupational therapist, has managed to do it over in Northern Ireland with people that are marginalised in society. So thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to me. Thank you. It's great. Really enjoyed talking with you. Well, it sounds like it's fantastic work Rachel and her colleagues are doing over in Northern Ireland. Amazing how they made that transition from being one of the worst prisons to one of the best performing prisons. So well done to her. And thank you to her again for taking the time out to come and speak to me on the podcast. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you keep enjoying the podcast, please share with your colleagues, friends, anyone that might be interested in any of the content. And also don't forget to rate and leave a review so I can see if you are really enjoying it. But until next time, guys, stay safe.